We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Today's episode is a bit of a tearjerker. Our guest, Stephanie Selinger, shares how she found out at her daughter's 20-week ultrasound that she had a congenital defect that affected the growth of her leg. They learned that this would probably mean amputation for their daughter's leg in the first years of her life. We talk about being open and transparent with your community, teaching a child how to love their body, and what it's like to settle into your new normal. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening today. Laura and I are here with a special guest who is a friend of mine. Her name is Steph Selinger. And Steph is um, the mom to a daughter, Charlotte. Um, she's going to tell us a little bit today about her journey into motherhood and um, the unique experience that she's had with her daughter. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Steph, and we'll go from there. Sure. Um, hi, everyone. Um, yep, yeah, My name is Stephanie uh, Selinger, and I live here in Portland and friend of Melissa's and Laura's as well. Um, and... I um, have a daughter, Charlotte, who's almost six now, and I have a little bit of a different story, um, I think, than than most, um, and I don't know if Melissa wants me to just start going sure. into that now. Sure, yep, please do. Okay. Um, so, I, my husband and I, let me take a step back, he and I, we didn't really know if we wanted kids for the longest time. We got married um, when we were 30, in fact, the year we turned 30, and I'm only knowing that because my our, we're thinking about and talking about our 40th birthday and our 10-year wedding anniversary, which is coming up next year. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't know if we wanted children. I had a number of friends that had had kids with a number of different, you know, things going on. A friend that, a dear friend that had a son who was born with cerebral palsy, and seeing what you know what she went through, and not only when he was born, but the years following that and a couple of other friends with um, babies with down syndrome and things and it was something that just really scared us and Mm -hmm. it was part of you know the kind of questioning that we did when we decided you know do we want to do this or not and at the end of the day we I think we were about 30 31 32 we're like okay let's just do this let's just have let's just have one and see how it goes did you feel like your age was a factor in in that process yeah a little bit I think um you know, I felt like the older I got, the less likely, A, I was probably going to do it. And also just, I didn't want to be that much older and, and yeah. be having kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also knew that the risks were higher at that point, too, yeah. mm-hmm. the older I got. Um, so we decided to go for it, and we got pregnant within the month. And um, I was really sick. Oh, it was so bad. I was <laughs> really, really sick for the longest time. Um, and it was funny, like, oh, my gosh, what did we do? What did I do? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and is my body trying to punish me? And is this going to ever end? And all that. Um, and then we went into our, and, and everyone told me that that was such a good sign that it right. was a strong yeah. pregnancy and this and that. And I'm like, are you just trying to make me feel better? Yes. I don't know. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we head into um, my 20 week ultrasound, which, you know, going into that, my doctor, no one really. I guess, warned me or told me how important that ultrasound Mm -hmm. is or Mm -hmm. was. I knew that um, I was going to find out the sex potentially. And I knew that um, 
she or that they would they would probably be counting the fingers and the toes and kind of making sure that everything was okay generally. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know to the depth of what that ultrasound was really like, and I yeah. I, I would have liked to have known that going in. Um, Maybe because it was my first and none of my, not many of my friends had had babies at the time. So whenever I told people I was going in for my 20 week ultrasound, people like, oh, that's great. You know, you'll, mm-hmm. you'll find out the sex and it'll get be, cute pictures. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. So um, Kevin, Kevin came with me, my husband, and <clears throat> they start, me- and I, we go in and lay down and they start measuring things. And like, I didn't realize they really go in and measure everything, you know, how big the stomach is, how big the brain is and ratios for, from the, from along the spine and different the arms and the legs and things like that. Well, so the technician starts and kind of goes through some things and then she leaves the room and doesn't say anything. And Kevin and I kind of look at each other like, hmm, I wonder what this means. So she comes back and she does a little bit more, doesn't say much. And we kind of ask her a few questions. And she's like, well, you know, there might be something off. I don't know. Hmm. Doesn't say much again. And now we're both getting a little freaked out. So she mm-hmm. leaves the room again and um, comes back with a doctor. Um, and he sits down and starts measuring things again too and and we're like okay you know what's going on and he finally suggests that and kind of shows us on the screen that it looks like the the baby was missing a bone entirely in in her leg like they couldn't see it the same bone on the other side which was the fibula bone so it's a bone that we have in our lower leg that it's behind our tibia, which is our shin bone, and small. Um, and I later found out we really don't even use it for a whole lot, but it's there. Mm-hmm. And they had to measure that, and um, so that was missing. Apparently, they could not see it at all. Um, and then her tibia bone, her shin bone, was measuring shorter than the other one on, on one side. On one side, okay. yeah. So just one side was affected, and then it also looked like she only had three toes on that same same leg, um, same foot. And she, her femur bone, so her shin, bo- or her, um, you know, long, long bone, the t- upper leg was was also sh- measuring short. Mm-hmm. I and mean, it was crazy that they, like, I was just even surprised that they could even tell that this. it could be that accurate. Yeah, that yeah. it's not just like, well, it looks like right. everything's fine. And so, Kevin and I are kind of stunned, and like, don't even know what to think. Or like, my heart was racing. Kind of, it's now. It's funny. Mm-hmm. Like when I. Th- go back in time and like think about that day and like yeah. how anxious and crazy it was. Um, so we kind of look at the doctor and we're like, well, well, what does this mean? You know, like, what next? And he's like, well, you know, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have the genetic counselor talk to you. And mm-hmm. that's kind of all he said. He was, he didn't have the great, the greatest bedside manner. Um, I'm sure anytime something's wrong, he probably, I mean, he was probably just uncomfortable too. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then all of a sudden they were both like, oh, well, do you guys want to know the sex? And we're like, oh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, sure. You know, yeah. at that point it was like kind of secondary. But, and they said, it's a girl. And the minute, the second that they said that, like, she was, it was like she was already born. Mm-hmm. Like, that's when I became a mom, right then. Yeah. Um, like, I could picture her. I could see her later in life. And I'm like, this is going to be like the strongest, toughest little girl. Like, I don't know anything about this condition that she has. And like, if anything else is wrong, but like, it's a girl and she's going to be a fighter. Yeah. And she's my girl. So um, they had us get dressed and they brought us into this genetic counselor. And then at the time I was like, genetic counselor, what does this even mean? You know, I'm like, is this genetic? Did, is this something I did? Because that's when I'm, yeah. you know, your yeah. mind starts to go in all these crazy directions. 
So um, <clears throat> the genetic counselor comes in and she starts off with, you know, how much did you have to drink when you were pregnant? And were you on any drugs? And did you do this? And right. Just firing these questions at me. And I just start bawling. And Kevin's like, what? you know, both of us are kind of just shocked. Like, what are you even getting at? And, um, and then she kind of stops and she's like, okay, well, just to let you know, this isn't, a, you know, this, this type of thing, this type of situation, it isn't genetic. Hmm. Um, it's congenital, which means that it's just something that happened. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that's why I was asking you all these questions, because, you know, we don't know this. We don't know if it's something that just naturally happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're trying to figure it out. Too. Yes. Like, did, yeah, did some condition or action, you know, right. cause this. And interestingly enough, I no, I didn't really drink when I was pregnant, but... Before I found out I was pregnant, I mean, it must have been like week one or two, we were in, Kevin and I were in New Orleans for a wedding, and I was eating raw oysters and drinking champagne. I mean, not a ton, but I had a mm-hmm. And I also wasn't feeling well <laughs> on that trip, which later I found out a few weeks later I was pregnant. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't have that much. But I was like, oh, my gosh, was it the raw oysters and the champagne? And I was like, I, it's me. I did this. You know, I, I don't know. I went through that for yeah. a little bit. Um, but the genetic counselor talking to her it relieved a little bit of the you know for a minute at least like it was something that we did she said it's likely that the cells just you know didn't quite divide and she Mm -hmm. said you can go online you can google a lot of things she's like (laughs) she said that most likely it's it's it was something that was congenital though and and um, you can research this more on your own and she kind of uh, she gave us a couple resources she also just suggested that we get a second opinion. We mm-hmm. go to another. Um, we would we would go at the time we were living in California, so we went into um, to um, another hospital in San Francisco. We were in Berkeley, um, just to have them do like a more in depth ultrasound. Mm-hmm. So we left that day. I remember walking outside, and both Kevin and I. It was like we felt like it was like the worst day of our lives. Like, what does this mean? You know, what's going to happen? Like, how, is she healthy in other ways? They they seem to think that everything else looked okay, but they didn't really know, you know. Right. So we, we yeah. it just opens that doorway, and then you question everything. Yeah. 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 So I still to this day consider it like the, pretty much the worst day of my life. Hmm. We also had to call our families, mm-hmm. you know, and tell them, which I think, <clears throat> which was what was 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 really hard too. I think especially like telling our parents. Yeah. Um was really hard, especially when you call them and they're like, yay, what's the great news? You know, are you having a boy or a girl? And we're like, well, we have something else to tell you. Yeah. Um, but I'd, that day, we, we Kevin and I went home and we did do some research online and we found out that there's a term for this and it's called fibular hemimelia, which means, I think, literally in Latin that it's a missing fibula. Mm-hmm. And we um, also found out that it's not, it's something that it's not very common. I think one in 20,000 hmm. children are born. And sometimes it's bilateral with both legs. Sometimes it's just the one, like Charlotte. It's more common in girls. And it's more common on the right leg, which Charlotte had it on the right leg. Interesting. Yeah, which is all really interesting. And, and it also confirmed that it's something that just happens. happens. Yeah. yeah. Like the cells are dividing in week five. And her cells on that leg just didn't fully d- d- divide for whatever reason, for whatever type of environment. That was just not quite right. Mm-hmm. Um and so we ended up, I ended up finding on Facebook, of all places, a support group. Uh, it was like parents of kids with fibular hemimelia. And I noticed that people would go on all the time and be like, hey, I'm pregnant. I found out that I, you know, my child has this, had something, 
wrong and here I am and tell me everything you know and like yeah. what can I expect and that was super helpful um, but basically I found out that most there that most children who um, are born with fibular hemimelia end up having their foot amputated um, because it, it's not a viable foot and um, the age kind of varied and that they get a prosthetic leg it's it can take a while for them to learn to walk on that leg, but once they do, they're pretty much, you know, unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And and um, and they they have they go on to live pretty normal lives. You know, there's of course ups and downs, but um, and so that was really really helpful to hear. Yeah. Um, and so Kevin and I went around. We actually saw a doc, two doctors before Charlotte was even born. So here I am, pregnant, and we're seeing these pediatric orthopedic surgeons. Mm-hmm. Um, like we'd go in and it'd be, it was so awkward and weird to go and they'd say, okay, where's your child? I'm like, well, she's, she's still in my belly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we saw a, a couple of really great ones in, in the San Francisco area and they both were basically, basically told us the same thing that they looked at her x-rays. They, they said, you know, we're not going to, we wouldn't make any decisions until she's born and, um, come back and see us then. But amputation is, is likely something that would we wanted to do and don't worry they kind of they were very reassuring in a way mm-hmm. that you know this this is something that happens and we do surgeries like this not all the time but we do it we're experienced yeah, yeah but yeah. I think there can be that kind of comfort where you like you have this I you are sitting alone in that ultrasound yeah. room you walk out alone and then now you have now found these people who are like oh I'm with you. Like, I, I understand this experience, yeah. whether it was the doctor who's like, we actually know what to do, yeah. or these people who are like, we actually have lived this before you, because that's, that's just what you don't know yeah. in those yeah. moments. Is like, well, I just found all this stuff out, and nobody in my life knows anything about this. Right, right. Exactly. So you have to, like, find people. Yeah. 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 Form a totally different kind of community outside of, like, the community that already exists and that you would normally seek. Yeah. Yeah. So... In the meantime, the the months that kind of led up to me having Charlotte were interesting because I had I had a really great support group, um, like friends and and family. I think everyone kind of like us were very we were very worried. You just didn't know, you know, you didn't know. I I was really curious about how it was going to look and did it look how they said it was going to look? And did you did you see pictures and? Yeah, I mean, just the ultrasound pictures. We actually didn't have. We had another. We had a second opinion done and it showed the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, exactly the same thing. We didn't have anything else done. They didn't treat me as high risk or anything. Um, so because they didn't, it didn't appear like anything else was wrong mm-hmm. at all, which was, was wonderful. And it was mm-hmm. very reassuring. But I just, I also felt a lot of anxiety just, I think around, still the unknown of just when I saw her, I knew it didn't, it didn't matter that her leg wouldn't matter necessarily, but I also was just afraid, like, what if it's different or what if it's worse or what if there is something else wrong that they're not seeing now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I did have a lot of anxiety around that leading up. And I, I feel, I still feel like I probably wasn't as excited hmm. as I could have been or I should have been or, and then a lot of my friends around me who were pregnant or the women that I met um, through like my birthing class and some things like that. Like, I, I felt a little bit like, okay, well, you know, I, it's different because I, my child has something wrong already that I know about. And these kids, mm-hmm. like these parents and their kids, they had great 20-week ultrasounds and nothing is, nothing seems to be wrong. But, you know, at the, I also had a lot of thoughts around, like, if this is it, if this is the one thing that's wrong, this isn't so bad. Like, yeah. I thought back to my friend whose son, her son has cerebral palsy 
and or my friends with you know down syndrome babies or so many other things lung things breathing problems heart problems brain yeah. right i mean major deformities um so i think it was fair for me to like sort of mourn what could have been mm-hmm. um for sure but i also appreciate that i I rem- I realized that it wasn't like the worst thing that could have happened. Yeah, it's there's kind of always that balance between like giving yourself the freedom to really experience what's happening and like you said to mourn because there there is loss there and you have every right to grieve and to mourn. And and yet there can be like this really beautiful perspective that comes and it comes from community and it comes from like seeing, you know, other people around you. Um, and whether that's like a situation like yours or after you have a, a, you know, a kid and you go to a breastfeeding support group and you see that other people have it even worse, you know, it's like, right. it, it, it's for better, for worse, it, that perspective can be helpful. Yeah. 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 So it, it was. And, um, as, as it got closer, we did get more excited, but it, it took, it just took a while to kind of get there. You know, I think I, we were mourning both Kevin and I for a yeah. little bit, um, and then at the end of the day, we're like, you know what? No, we have to be positive for Char- for her. Um, we decided to name her Charlotte. She was actually named after my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and my grandmother passed away in 2001, and the, she and I were very close. So the day she died, I remember telling her, I'm like, I'm going to name – if I ever have a child, I'm going to name her after you. And um, <clears throat> so we, d- we named her Charlotte pretty quickly, actually, after that 20-week ultrasound. Because, again, like I, I just felt like I was really connected to her very early – um, like as soon as that, as soon as I found out about her leg, I don't know, there was something like, that's where I feel like I became a mom mm-hmm. was that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my actual, my actual birth story, um, sort of interesting too. I, I never developed like a full plan. I, my plan, just because I had so, I so many stories of friends and family who are, the plan never really goes to plan. And yeah. So I kind of was like, I'm going to just see how things go. I, I sort of wanted to have, I, I wanted to have a natural delivery if possible, but I wasn't opposed to the drugs if I had to. Although I yeah. kind of instructed Kevin, like, unless things get really bad, try to, you know, try to keep me off of that ledge or, or yeah. whatever. Um, so I went in, I, I remember going in at my 39th week um, visit with my doctor and um, she checked me, and she's like, "Oh, you're close, shut. You know, you got at least a week." She's like, "If not more." She's like, "I would be surprised if you, if you, um, if if, Char- if the baby came before your due date or on your due date even." She's like, "I was like, okay, I've been having a lot of Braxton Hicks contractions mm-hmm. and things, but I was like, okay, if you say so, that's fine." And so I went on a long hike that day with my one of my best friends actually, who was also pregnant. We were about, uh, just about a week apart, due about a week apart. Got home, had some fish tacos that night, sat down on the couch, went to go to the bathroom, and my water broke. Oh. And I didn't know if it was water. I was like, am I just peeing? <laughs> I didn't really know what was going on. Yeah, but it's an unfortunate time for it to happen because yes. there's lots of questions. Yeah. There. yeah. <laughs> I was like, Is this hap- what's happening here? But yeah. then I got up and I went out to the couch where Kevin was, and I was still leaking. So I'm like, okay, I don't think this is pee. Um, <laughs> I don't normally pee like this. No, and so it was just kept coming and it would like leak a little bit and then go away. And then, yeah. yeah. So, um, I was kind of bummed cause I'm like, I think this means I, I need to go into the hospital. I mean, according to my doctor, um, cause I was having, I was having Charlotte at, um, like a, a birthing center within a hospital and I was seeing a regular MD at the time. <laughs> and so I ended up calling her and they're like, yeah, you need to go in. 
And I was like, oh, okay, well, so we got, so Kevin and I got all packed up and ready to go, went to the hospital. This was about 11 o'clock at night, got into triage. They took all my vitals and I wasn't, my, I, I didn't even really have contractions. There weren't, hmm. I was having some Braxton Hicks, but there weren't nothing real, nothing painful, like not nothing. So I convinced them, which was highly apparently unheard of at this hospital, to let me go home until the mm-hmm. next morning Good. to see if yeah. things could get, could get started. And it was a little bit of a struggle to get there, but they decided, okay, yeah. So we got home, we got back home around midnight. Kevin went to bed and I could not sleep. I was really anxious. Um, so just kind of like sat up and watched TV and hung out on my ball and started getting a little bit of back pain, but like no, uh, t- as far as I could tell, nothing in my stomach, no cramping, nothing like that. It was just in my back a little bit. And um, did not sleep a wink. Um, went back to the hospital. We had to be back at like 7 o'clock the next morning. They really weren't detecting much as far as contractions go. So my doctor gave me um, Cervidil, mm-hmm. which is like a natural, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Natural uh, cervix. Cervix. Right. cervix. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and they kind of let me just roam the halls and, you know, do whatever I wanted, but I did have to stay at the hospital at that point. And, and I guess the main reason why they want you to stay is because they want the baby out in 24 hours once your water breaks, if the rule's there anyway, right? Mm -hmm. The risk of infection and Mm -hmm. everything. So, um, and that did seem to work because I started having, and it was just back pain for me. It was all in my back, just Mm. getting worse and worse and worse. And so, um, finally at... Like around, I think like two or th- three, um, we got into a room and I was, I, it was, it got real bad. It was. Oh, you didn't have a room up till that no. point. No, so I was just like oh. wandering around, <laughs> wandering the halls uh, mostly. I did not have a room up until then. Yeah, I know. I was, you know, again like these busy hospitals where yeah. they're just churning out babies. I think they just didn't have a room <laughs> for me, and it was pretty bad by then. I was, I did a lot. I actually was. Um, they did have like a. I, in the triage room, I kind of could go back in there and I didn't have a little space. So I could be on the ball or whatever. And I was kind of yeah. walking and I'd stop and I had my back. But I, I got to a point where I was I was throwing up and I was just not, not doing very well at all. The back pain, it was just like unbearable. Was, was it screaming. constant or did it come and go like contractions? It was constant. Yeah. So it got to a point where it was constant. And so I there was no relief. No relief. Yeah. And, and I still, people were like, oh, and I... It still was weird because I kept on telling me that my contractions were far apart. I'm like, this; these aren't even contractions to me. This is just like a permanent, like, back-breaking situation is what I was yeah. feeling. So I did finally convince Kevin that it was time <laughs> to, to get the drugs. And they they came in and gave me an epidural at around 3. Um, and it was nice, I have to say, after that. <laughs> Big they, difference. But, yeah. <laughs> um, and I could still feel things, but I, it was it, – and, and, but I didn't – you know, I couldn't feel th- that back pain anymore. Yeah. Um, so I did rest for a little bit. And they they didn't actually, it's funny, they didn't check my cervix at all throughout that whole day. I guess that's the risk of infection. Mm-hmm. And so they, I, had, they had, I had no idea. I guess that morning when I'd gone in, I was maybe two centimeters dilated when they first had given me the Cervidil. So they finally checked me at 9 o'clock at night. That, um, so from like, you know, 3 to 9, I was kind of relaxing and resting and hanging out, whatever. And they find and they well they checked me actually because Charlotte's heart rate was starting to go down and they mm. were giving her me oxygen and mm-hmm. and all that like and it was I was ten centimeters I'm like well why didn't you check me hours ago who knows how long I've been ten <laughs> right right yeah so anyway so nine o'clock or so I started pushing I pushed two times and she came and she, oh my goodness twice wow. like literally like it was the doctor didn't make it in time the, <laughs> the no one made it in time the nurse was the one that like officially like 
you know, captured her. Yeah, delivered mm-hmm. her. Um, wow. It was really, really quick, I, um, which was great. And I could feel, which was nice. I could feel, the, you know, the pushing. I felt the pressure. It was, it, it, I wouldn't say, it was actually in a way sort of easy, which was nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, they, you know, they, they wrapped her up. Uh, so they, they pretty quickly like wrapped her up. They actually took her away for a little bit longer, I think, because of her leg. They did they did have a doctor in. And, um, I don't think he was an orthopedic surgeon or anything, but they did have a doctor like check her out a little bit more limbs mm-hmm. and and things. And then they did give her to me. It was maybe like well, I mean, it wasn't that long, but maybe five minutes. So longer, I think, than they normally like yeah. do skin to skin right away. And they put her on me and I she was all wrapped up. She just had these little cute red lips and these mm. big eyes and this head of hair that was crazy, <laughs> which was funny because I never had, um, what do they say, indigestion or any of that stuff. With She had crazy hair. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so, and, it, and so it was just, like, nice. It was very normal, and I didn't really even think about her leg at that time. You know, we just – Kevin and I just enjoyed her. And <laughs> and then a little bit later they brought us into the, the postpartum room, and we kind of <clears throat> finally um, got a chance to, like, unwrap her and look at all everything. And, and it, her leg – it looked exactly how they said. You know, mm. she had uh, she had a shorter right leg, and she had this this little three toed foot that was actually like the cutest thing Aww. I've ever seen. <laughs> it was really sweet, and um, yeah, so uh, <laughs> it was it was pretty fun. She was uh, a screamer from the beginning. In fact, the first yeah, she was she was definitely like she wasn't officially colicky, but colic, but I would say colicky. Like she yeah. had some. Definitely some <laughs> some extended crying yeah, episodes. Yeah, which I later I, I kind of appreciated in a way because I felt like, like she's a strong you know she's gonna be a strong tough cookie and yeah. eventually one day when she's gonna have to have surgery then she's gonna she's gonna be a fighter. Yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say um, let's see, I'm trying to think like at about three months is when we started taking her around to some different doctors, hmm. um, and we saw three different doctors in the in the Bay Area. And all of them said exactly the same thing. You know, she's perfect candidate for amputation surgery. If you didn't do amputation, she'll never be able to walk on this leg. She'd be confined to a wheelchair or crutches. And we didn't want that. I mean, Mm -hmm. we could have. There are parents that decided to go that route or do some sort of like there's a limb lengthening that you can do, which is a long, drawn out process. There's lots of things that they could have done. But we decided that amputation was probably the best route. We wanted her to be able to be up and walking as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and her pediatrician actually referred us to Shriners Hospital, and they were in Sacramento. So they were. it was about an hour and a half drive for us. But um, they seemed to be, like, the best suited to do her surgery, mostly mm-hmm. because they only deal with a few things there. Um, at the Sacramento, it was burn victims, um, spinal issues, and then limb deficiencies and deformities. And... We really loved the orthopedic surgeon that was there, and um, he was he had a great bedside manner. I mean, you'd be surprised. Even pediatric ones don't always. Yeah. <laughs> the ones that we saw, some of them was like, okay, yeah, really? Like, you yeah. work with babies and kids. Um, and this particular doctor had done this surgery before, like 15 or 20 times, which was nice, like, nice to hear. Yeah. yeah. Okay, you know, this is going to... Um, so that, it's funny, the year leading up to her surgery, I mean, you're busy, you have a a newborn and you're a first time parent. And so we didn't, I I didn't think about it a ton, but it definitely was always in the back of my mind. Like, okay, there's going to be this big surgery coming up. And we didn't really know what to expect for that either. Yeah. Until it got closer. How did, how did it affect crawling and other mobility? Yeah. So it didn't really, which is really awesome. So Charlotte was crawling really early, like around five months, I would say. Um, and it didn't affect the crawling at all. 
And she would even get up and she could put weight on that leg. Mm. And at the, at the time, the deficient, the discrepancy in leg limb length wasn't crazy. I mean, I want to say her right leg was maybe two or, or three inches shorter. But like she could still kind of stand and bend her other bend knee. Her, yeah. yeah. So she just modified. I mean, she figured yeah. it out. They kids are so adaptive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't if she doesn't know the difference. Yeah. yeah exactly. This like isn't that's like what she suddenly knew. my leg is shorter. Right. Yeah. So she would. Um. You know, she did a lot of the. Uh, what do they call it? Where you you know you stand up and you kind of move around mm-hmm. and. Yeah. Um. She was so she was doing that up up until like right before the surgery. Um. For sure, and was crawling like crazy, and and didn't you know think anything of it. And so we actually had the surgery on her first birthday. Poor thing. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. That's what you get. Um, and they wanted to wait because they don't love doing anesthesia if they don't have yeah. to, mm-hmm. you know, with kids younger. And I think, I don't think it mattered in her case because she wasn't walk, you know, wasn't trying to walk or needed to walk, needed to walk really. And a lot of kids don't walk until yeah, after, after one. Yeah. Um, so um, the surgery was interesting because... <clears throat> Of course, how do you tell a one-year-old that you have to wake up at four o'clock in the morning and not eat or drink? Oh, I, I'm just like my stomach is just churning, just <laughs> yeah. hearing about yeah. it. Like the hours, right? So like, yeah. we ha- and we get to the hospital, and then you're going into this holding area, and you have to wait like three or four hours before you can even go into the pre-op. And you still can't feed her. No. Or, yeah, oh. it was so. That was the most stressful part. I think mm-hmm. was like just trying to distract her from eating or drinking because. And a year, I mean, you, they're still eating regularly. <laughs> all the time. I mean, all the time. I mean, like, I couldn't, you know, she was at that point, um, I had stopped nursing at, like, 11 months, but I was still pumping. She was still taking a bottle. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like, her whole routine was t- completely disrupted. The only good thing was that they had a ton of toys. So yeah. Kevin and I just spent hours, <laughs> like, just trying to get her to play and... and um, Be distracted. Yeah. So we finally get into the pre-op room, and they have to give her a shot, Um for they you know um they started the um the whole um anesthesia process and mm-hmm. things and it got to get it got real 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 <laughs> then um and then like trying to get her to settle down and and we knew the surgery was going to be long it was a it was a i think a three hour surgery three mm-hmm. or four which was you know for, for your baby to be it's going a really long surgery time. it's a really long time yeah um and, like, once they gave her the shot, Kevin and I were starting to get a little emotional ourselves and, like, how are we going to say goodbye? Like, how is this going to go? Is she going to fall asleep? I mean, but it ended up, like, they basically, like, whisked her away. They, this anesthesiologist comes in. He was really sweet. And he just picks her up. And he's like, say goodbye to mommy, daddy. And he just walks out of the room, which is probably the best thing he could have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they told us, you know, oh, you're going to go out that same door and you're going to go make a left out to the waiting room where both of our parents were also waiting for us. And a couple of our friends, actually, it was really sweet of them to come. So we leave the room following him and we watch them walk down the hallway and he's just carrying Charlotte. And then they go into the operating room and, and I hear him say, everybody, this is Charlotte. And I hear like six or seven people go, hi, Charlotte. And it, it like just made my whole life. Like I was like, okay, this is going to be okay. Yeah. Like this is Shriners. These people know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They like obviously like they're they're taking good care of her. Yeah. yeah. And Kevin and I just like look at each other and just start bawling, both of us. Um, it was just hard. It's hard to leave your baby yeah. like that. And so we um, went out to the waiting room and just tried our best to kind of stay busy and it was a it seemed like it was like six hours but it was yeah. probably it was probably three and we appreciated it that one of the um 
um, I guess, assistance kid had come out at like two hours and he said, things are going really well. We're actually, you know, just finishing up. They were not only amputating the foot, but they were straightening out her tibia with a pin Mm. um, that she was only going to have for a little bit. We actually were going to have a second surgery a few weeks later just to take that pin out, which turned out to be a breeze compared to this first one, just because we knew what to expect and it was shorter. But um, so at three hours, the actual, her surgeon comes out and he's like, everything went great, just as expected. Like, you know, we're really happy with how things turned out. And, you know, mom, you can go, um, go see your, your child, your, your daughter and, you know, a little bit in a half hour or so. So I was the first one that went to her and um, it was really hard to see. She was, like, you know, hooked groggy. up to, all, yeah, yeah, really groggy and hooked up to all these machines. And like, she was so agitated mm-hmm. just with the machines and she had this cast on and I'm pretty sure she wasn't in pain. I, I they did a really good job managing that. Um, and I, th- I think at those types of hospitals, like they're, it's like what they, you know, yeah. they know mm-hmm. how to do they're that. Prof- yeah. They're professionals. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I got to hold her and I gave her a bottle and I rocked her and like, I, I, I think like a little bit, a little bit of part, a little part of me was like, okay, like a weight had been lifted in a way, like, okay, we got through this. And, mm-hmm. um, the next 24 hours were also kind of rough. I mean, it's just, she was she was just hooked up to so many different things and they were always coming in, you know, at hospitals yeah. they're just bothering you. And she was so agitated. Like that was the right, because she, she wasn't talking a ton then. And I think the medicine, the morphine, I mean, it was basically baby morphine. It was the dilated was the name. Was the, mm-hmm. it's, like, it's really heavy duty stuff that they were giving her. Um, and Kevin, it was funny. I, I was the one that was like, I kind of took charge and like made sure everything was under control and could be like, Kevin like couldn't handle it. It was harder for him to see her like that I think for me it was like that mom instinct just like I was running on adrenaline that whole time yeah you know I, I was like no this is my baby and I have to make sure she's okay and Kevin I don't want to say he didn't do anything he did he just it was it was harder for him mm-hmm. a lot harder for him to be in the room so I stayed over the overnight with her and didn't sleep at all she was she didn't even really sleep so. yeah but um they did fortunately they said that she was doing so well like the next afternoon so it wasn't even 24 hours. It was about 24 hours, I guess, since she came out of surgery. They said that we could take her home. We could go home. Um, so, and she, as soon as we took all of the things off of her and kind of, like, got her um, into her stroller, like, she was doing already better. Like, you could just mm-hmm. tell. She just being in that bed and in her – she was, like, in a hospital crib. And anyway, yeah. So um, we got her home, and the doctor said, you know, you, you might even be able to switch her to – some lighter painkillers right away we just did um like ibuprofen we actually did that because did did that work and it did wow like she it was amazing to me how i can't resilient. even i can't even yeah. comprehend that like you have your leg amputated right. and, and like, like ibuprofen go, is enough like that's I insane i think we gave her that night we first got home we gave her like the last dosage of that heavy duty stuff and she just again didn't sleep well was super agitated the next morning we're like let's try this let's just try this you know extra strength advil they've given us and once we did that, she became more and more like herself, like, throughout mm. that day. And by that evening, like, the next evening, she was crawling, she was crawling around oh with her cast on and was acting fairly normal. Um, wow. I know. It's crazy. Kind of amazing. Yeah. So That must have been very reassuring for you. Because I can, I can only imagine in that situation, like, you're not only worried about the surgery, like, everything goes okay. Yeah. But, like, what is the recovery going to be like? Is she going to be, like you know, just crying for weeks, right. is she going to be like, yep. you know, and I'm sure when she was very agitated and all of that, you were like worried that 
that she would stay like that yeah. for a while. Oh my gosh, exactly. Yeah. So we, I felt really lucky, and I do attribute it to like not being on those painkillers and being home with us. And mm-hmm. she, I just also think I did not truly realize how resilient kids are, yeah. how quickly they come back from things, how how they heal their whole everything, um, their outlook. I mean, she's one. I don't know exactly what her outlook was, but she was. <laughs> she seemed pretty positive. More than I was. Yeah. Um, I just tend to feel like every day is an, an adaption for kids at that age. Like every, like they're in their like ability to, to intake yeah. and to adapt is higher than any other creature. Yeah. Like yeah. We have, it's we have raining. The, I yeah, have to we adapt. Have, yeah. We have like, exactly. we have the highest, you know, we have the highest yeah. mental capacity of any creature. And then it's like, you take this person and who is learning every second of every day. It's like, we are the opposite of that. Like we're yeah. like, oh, I know stuff. And mm-hmm. this is how I like things. Yeah. And every like intake is, is an exercise yeah. of like. Ugh, like it's true, you know. And so it's like when adults have surgery, it's horrible. Like oh, to yeah. feel limited at all, we just can't even right. fathom. But like right. even listening to you tell a story, it's like I'm sure nobody expected her to crawl, and she's like, "My leg's a little short. Who cares? Right. This is my leg. I don't know anything else. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know anything different. This right. is just how I am. Like, exactly. oh, my leg got cut off. Well, that's what happened two days ago. Like now <laughs> exactly. I'm just gonna like keep yeah. going. Like exactly. we would never be like that. Like we'd no. be like, no. no. Like, like, I and we yeah. feel sorry for like, how come Huffington <laughs> Post hasn't called me yet? I yeah, want to right. tell my story. Right. Yeah, and she's just like, well, it's Tuesday. This is how it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's <laughs> so, true. It's kind so. of amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she had this cast for I think it was eight weeks. It was a long time to be taking. So we had to give her like water baths. We had to oh. kind of keep her clean. That was a little hard. But I mean, other than like literally, other than that, it was not a big deal to have this cast at all. Um, and then she had a second surgery to take the once she to get the cast off and to get this pin out, and it, it it was I mean it was just it was more annoying than anything. It was hard again. We still had to go through the whole pre-op process and the not eating and the you know waiting. And then they did put her under, but I think because we had gone through it eight weeks before and knowing that this was going to be outpatient, it was just a lot different. And you probably had a little less apprehension about what the after part would yes, be like. Exactly, yeah. and um, so. Ever, that all went really well, and they she went without anything on that leg. They needed to let it heal, so she had a couple scars, you know. The scar tissue was healing, and they wanted to kind of let it, you know, air out or whatever. So she had nothing for a little bit, and she did even fine then. She was back to – she would stand on that stump, which is technically her heel, because mm-hmm. um, she still had that intact, um, even though it was shorter her because her whole leg was shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, she would, you know, crawl and, and stand up and get around on it, and then – I want to say about them see they let that heal it was maybe like three or four months and they fit her for her first prosthesis which was really fun and cute mm-hmm. um but it was funny about it is that she hated it i mean truly hated this thing it was like it heavy it was it was crazy heavy even for kevin and i were like how was this how can she even yeah. walk around on this it was really heavy and it was awkward and for the babies it didn't connect it didn't there wasn't a mechanism to keep it connected very well so she mm-hmm. had a kind of wear the sleeve over it. It was just very awkward. Um, so she would just crawl. But they probably have to start getting used to using yeah. one, right? Yeah. Exactly. And then as she got older, her legs have now gotten a little bit more advanced and it stays on better and it's made differently. But those first, yeah. It was yeah. basically just for she get used to it and, and learn to walk. Um, but it was just funny because she would just crawl and it would just drag behind her. She just <laughs> She's like, I don't want it. She's like, I don't want this. I'm like, what is this thing? It's heavy. It's just awkward. I don't know. And then one day... Uh, one day she just, we didn't really push it, but one day, I think she was about 18 months and she just, she just started walking. Hmm. We'd always have this chair out in the center of the room and sometimes she would just kind of move around it. And then one day she just moved off of it and it was like the coolest thing to see, Yeah, you know, like my baby girl's walking and yeah. 
and um, like, you know, looking back, I, I thought back to kind of at that 20 week point where I didn't know, like, was she going to be able to mm-hmm. walk? And knowing that just, you know, um, two years later about yeah. just as she's walking. And, and that's why you chose the path that you did yeah. because you wanted that for her. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, you know, since then, I mean, she, she it, it's, it's, it's truly amazing. Like what Shriners has done to allow her to, I, I allow her to walk. I am, I feel so indebted to them. They're amazing prosthetics team there mm-hmm. that just keep her, you know, in line, um, and aligned for that matter. She's on her, Charlotte will be six. She's on her fifth leg right now. So she's basically had a new one every year. Mm-hmm. And um, will that continue for maybe another couple more years? Okay. They say they, they're just so growing so quickly, right. you know, at this point. Um, and when she, they, they did say like seven or eight, it'll probably slow down to maybe every other year or yeah. 18 months or something like that. And then um, eventually they'll make her a, multiple legs, you know, if she wants to be a. a track runner they'll make her a probably a special like blade runner leg and mm. if she wants to be a ballerina ballet dancer they'll make her a leg where she could be up on point they've done that they showed us a bunch of different legs they had done for other oh. kids mm. or if she wants to um wear high heels they like different yeah. shoes and yeah then. so they they can do that for so now she gets to accessorize her legs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. the last two legs they even allow us so we charlotte and i will go to the fabric store and pick out a pick out a fabric and then they underlay it into the leg so it used to be her first few legs were like were the color of her skin mm-hmm. and then now she had like the one that she has now has flowers on it she her last one had unicorns on yeah. it very very portland um like but also know. very sweet I yeah think you know. yeah we keep telling her i'm like you have to pick out something that you you're gonna you know you're gonna have it for a year and you wear this every day and yeah. you see it every day so it's just part of your body does she take it off ever? Like if she's relaxing or sometimes at bed she does. Or, yeah. yeah. So we so she doesn't sleep with it, of course. And then usually like after bath at night, she'll leave it off. And she will sometimes still crawl, or she can actually hop around on her one leg. Mm-hmm. I mean, twenty five feet. It's crazy. Like her. Yeah. I don't know if it's it's partially her, her balance. Core right, and yeah. yeah. Like she's got mm-hmm. this balance, so she can just hop on the one leg. Yeah. And she always complains that her other ankle will hurt afterwards. So I try not to let her do it for too long hmm. because I'm sure it's a lot of pressure, you yeah. know, on that leg. Yeah. But um, she has times where it hurts her, you know, like if she if she's too active, she's doing too much. She plays soccer now. And sometimes, you know, or if she's been running a lot, sometimes it hurts. If she's got some, she'll have little aches and pains or she'll develop a rash sometimes if the weather's too hot. Mm-hmm. And so we'll take it off, you know, in the middle of the day sometimes. And it's funny, I oftentimes, I forget how important mobility is and being able to walk sometimes because when she can't there's a couple times where it hurt too much to put it on and so we were just home all day because I I can't carry her anymore and she's too big for a stroller I mean what we could try to squeeze her into one probably but um like it's like I feel so happy that she's that she actually can walk and she has it because when she doesn't it's crazy Mm -hmm. like how hard it is yeah and I feel lucky, like, oh, it's only one leg, and that, and she has enough. She had enough leg to where they could create a prosthesis for her, and you know, it's just her lower leg. She still has a knee, um, which is great too. And so, yeah, when she walks, you can hardly even tell. Yeah, I don't think the first. I think the first yeah. time I met her, I didn't. You didn't even, even notice. Know. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, we were just talking before the podcast about how just lately at school we've been getting more questions, and that's mm-hmm. because the weather's warmed up. Yeah. And um, for the school year, Charlotte's probably, she wears leggings so much of the time that you can't, you know, you can't tell. And um, 
So she's been wearing dresses without, and people have been seeing it and asking us about it, um, which I love when people ask because sometimes when she was younger, especially, or we have swimming lessons and we'll go and people will just stare. Mm-hmm. And I think it, you know, if I, if I were, if it were the other way around and I knew nothing other than like, oh, I see this girl and she's missing a limb because she doesn't, certainly doesn't swim with the leg or she'll wear the leg out to the pool deck and then we take it off. And I'm sure for some people it's like the shock factor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would prefer people asking because now, especially now, I mean, it not always was like, I, w- I want to be able to tell people about it yeah. or, you know, have Charlotte tell people about her story and people about it. Because I do think th- this day and age, like there's this parents, I don't know if they're teaching their kids enough about differences with children and other people and that it's it's okay to ask them about it right. most of the time. Mm-hmm. I think that especially other children, like, I'm not, you know, we're not going to react badly to that. And then right. maybe some people who have other things going on, maybe they would, but yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Making it a secret is only going to like create more like, like shame or embarrassment around yeah. it. You know, you, you want it to be something that, that she feels really comfortable talking about and she has to practice that mm-hmm. in a way, you know? And, yeah. and of course I'm sure there will be times where people will, will approach her in a way that is hurtful and hopefully yeah. that happens as little, you know, hopefully it happens never, but I'm right. sure that will happen to her in her, in her life. Yeah. But she'll learn to, to deal with that as well by having this experience of like being, you know, proud of who she is and feeling confident and, and knowing that she can talk about it. And yeah. yeah. What yeah. does she say? Can I so say? she will normally, and I think because she probably gets it from me because she mm-hmm. heard me tell the story, but she'll say, you know, I was born a little bit different and I had my foot amputated. I had surgery and I had my foot amputated. And now, um, you know, Shriners makes me a, a nice new leg. And that's pretty much what she says. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I basically have – now that's kind of the story that I had been telling people, and so she thinks she overheard me. But um, interestingly, just last week, she was at school in the bathroom, and some she's in kindergarten and was a second grader and ta- whispering to another second grader. They were kind of pointing at it and talking about her leg. And Charlotte said <clears throat> that she kind of felt bad, and that she felt like they were t- you know kind of talking about it behind mm-hmm. her back. And I said, well, how did you handle it? And she said – I didn't, I didn't say anything or I didn't, I didn't do anything. And I said, well, do you think that it might've been better if you would have said, Hey, do you want to hear about my leg or do you want to hear the story or do Mm -hmm. you want to know, do you want to see it? Or, and she said, yeah, you know, maybe I should have. And I, and I said, well, why don't you try practicing that next time? Because I know, you know, the story I hear you're telling it. She goes, yeah, I I just, I don't know. I was feeling she, she's, she didn't say embarrassed, but, um, or shy. I think, but I felt like that's what she was getting at. Um, so I think as, as time goes on, we'll work on that a little bit more. And I think she will, but I think it got her thinking like, you know, it's okay when someone is, when you experience some sort of negativity about it, it's not because they're trying to be negative. They just don't know. They don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm curious. It's so good to hear from you, like from your perspective and being the mother of Charlotte, like that, that you do want people to ask. You want it to be something that that she can talk about that it's like something that's open and part of, you know, part of her right. relationships. I remember Aiden and I were on an airplane one time. I might've told you this story, yeah. but we were on an airplane and there was a boy that was sitting behind, right behind us that had clearly been very, you know, bur- like burns on his face. And Aiden kept like, you know, looking back at him through the, the wind or the, the seats of the airplane. And I was uncomfortable with him staring at the boy because, you know, that just, just, you know, did, I, I didn't, I knew that Aiden's motivations weren't wrong in staring at him, but I just, I was uncomfortable with it. And he kept asking me like, what happened to that boy? And I'm like, honey, I don't know. And and he, it was just, it was, 
so uh, he was so um drawn to this boy and he couldn't he couldn't let it go and so finally and I was so torn about saying this to him but finally I said to him why don't you ask him yeah and I was just like oh my gosh I can't believe I just said that like that you know his <laughs> yeah. parents are going to be like furious and you know like I can't you know I should I shouldn't have said that and he did it and just like you know in his childish innocence just said um what happened to your face and the boy like was like thrilled to tell him and it wasn't a good story obviously you know he told a story of how he was you know badly burned in a house fire and but he was so happy to tell the story like mm-hmm. just to have someone ask him that instead of just staring at him and then the two of them like played and talked for the like the whole rest of the you know it was like an hour and a half flight but yeah. they they were you know best buddies and they were like talking about how you know next time we go to San Jose we'll see each other on the airplane <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know I just think yeah. it was such a connecting moment and for both of them, like they were both able to like see each other in a totally different way. Yeah. As soon as like Aiden asked him the question and as soon as the boy told his story, it was it was gone. They Then they were just two boys and they just they talked about everything else under the sun. It wasn't like a thing anymore, yeah. you know, and I think that's that can that can be really powerful. It's like people can look at someone like Charlotte and just notice her leg. But if you if you can cross that that gap. Yeah then the, the leg is like not even a thing anymore. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's something you see up front initially, but as soon as you can get past it or not, yeah. Once you find out, oh, okay. Yeah. It's a prosthetic leg. Cool. Let's yeah. move on. Um, and I, I try to teach, we try to teach her to like, <clears throat> yeah, it's a part of you and it's something that makes you different and unique and it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, you, you were born different and that's okay. All of us are really born different, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We try to tell her all the time, you know, and I, it's part of like how I appreciate that it's, it is truly just her leg. There's so many things that go on now, right? I mean, kids mm-hmm. all the time and their health. And I feel lucky in a lot of ways because she's she's definitely thrives in all others. But, you know, that it doesn't define you. Mm-hmm. This isn't what defines you. It's part of you. And it's a big part of you. And sometimes, you know, there are, there are months, especially when she's on the verge of getting a new leg. We're at Shriners a lot. It's a big part of her life, you know. Yeah. Um, or when things are, when she needs a lot of adjustments and things are going, going um it's it's hurting her or whatever and there is we still have a potential surgery maybe more um hopefully just one more maybe down the road um, just as she grows yeah they they just want to fo- yeah fix some alignment and it's all normal stuff that mm. is probably very common mm. but it, none of this defines her you know it's, it is yeah. a part of her life but um yeah and and she's growing up to be so like she, it's it is it's just a part of her it is a part of her but it's like you know you don't it, it she's very normal, you know, yeah. like there's, yeah. no, you know, and, and people are always interested in, in hearing that, like, you know, is it different at home? Because I'm like, no, not really. I mean, yeah, we have to, you know, we have this foot, we have to take off this, we sleeve, we have to clean it every night and we take, and that's it, also just like, your normal. Yeah. But it's and normal. And it's her normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's, and I don't, I'm happy to talk about it. And, and I, I feel like us telling this story now and telling the story to other people, it's just helping to educate those that, you know, maybe don't know that many people that have kids with, or, you know, people with differences or don't have a lot of that around them mm-hmm. just to, to raise that awareness and know that like, we're all, the, we're all different, but we're all the same, you right. know, it's, it's, um, and we don't have to pretend like we can talk about it. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. It's so important. No, I think it's really empowering. Like you have said that 20 week ultrasound feeling like you became her mom and saw her as a strong person, like you also 
were the perfect mom for Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And your strength has made the story something that you can share now with people as a part of your life and not something that that changed it for the worse. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. and I think either side being like too too glossy or too mm-hmm. you know, too negative about it is it would be an easy road for you guys to take. Yeah. yeah. But it sounds like this was, you know, in some ways meant to be and you had that strong community. I know something we've talked about in the past too is it's there, there are some things that does change about you being a mom. Like, you guys probably need to be near Shriners mm-hmm. in yeah, your life. That's true. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's things like that that maybe would have changed, you know. And that that's the part where it's integrated. Like, that, you know, yeah. this will be a path that you walk with her and mm-hmm. with, you know, your team. But I also just want to say, like, we talk about, like, when do you feel like you became a mom? And for a lot of moms, it's when they needed to protect or provide yeah. or even just create. So a lot of people feel that way when they find out they're pregnant because – now they're already providing and protecting, but right. you know, I just want to yeah. say it's really beautiful to hear kind of how, how you were just the perfect mom for Charlotte too. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that it's, it's, it, I think I can look back now and say that too. And it took me a while to get there, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. I think just going through, <clears throat> you know, just all the different emotions and, and the yeah. feelings and, um, but I, I, I do think always time gives us perspective in so many ways mm-hmm. and, um, Hindsight's always twenty twenty two, yeah. right? So, but yeah, <laughs> at the time it, it just it didn't feel like that. But I I do strongly believe, yeah, that I, I when I say that I became a mom at that twenty week point, before then, because I was so sick, I think I wasn't connecting mm-hmm. all that well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I it's would, I think so many women that is where it really clicks is yeah. you know you see this image that yeah. rep, it is your it represents your baby it is your baby, and there's something really beautiful that kind of falls into place there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing yes. it with us. Thanks for letting me. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, Steph, I just wanted to give you a chance to just share a little bit about the um, the business that you're working on, if you want to just tell us a little. Yeah. Yeah. So um, part of the reason why we moved to Portland a couple of years ago was, uh, it's funny, Laura mentioned being close to Shriners, was a big reason why we moved to Portland. Um, but I'm also so that I could explore, um, a passion of mine, which is nutrition. Mm -hmm. So I'm finishing up my, um, nutritional therapy practitioner certification, um, next month and I will be, yeah. So I'm super excited. I've been doing that for about a year now and will be, I've actually just determined that a couple of my focuses are going to be on fertility. So, you know, being properly fed and um, using nutritional therapy to make sure that you're in the best shape that you can be for for fertility as well as pre and postnatal nutrition Mm -hmm. um so maybe one day i can even come back on and we can talk about some of that stuff we'd love that Uh, yeah for um, sure yeah so i'm working on that on my new business and getting all that stuff i don't have a website yet um but maybe i'm sure hopefully by the next time i'm the next time i'm with you guys i would definitely have that yeah We'll definitely share that in the future when it's all ready to go. So, yeah. All right. Thanks, Steph. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth and being a part of this community. We'd love for you to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to rate us in iTunes, which helps other listeners find us. We'd also love to hear from you at motherbirth.co if you have any ideas for topics for us to cover or if you'd like to be on the show. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Birth is a personal podcast created by Laura and Melissa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care if you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.